Sports Social with Ed Easton Jr. We are back once again here on Brooklyn Free Speech Radio, as well as iHeartRadio for many listening either on the website or on the app, iHeartRadio app. Make sure to download that and check out Brooklyn Free Speech Radio on there to hear Sports Social. So that's another option for everyone out there. And uh, another one of those weeks in sports where the locals dominate the headlines as usual. And when I say local, for everyone listening in the tri-state area, number one thing on uh, most people's lists, especially if you're an NBA fan, even more if you're a Knicks fan, is the uh, the decision to finally get a head coach. As you all know, Jeff Hornacek was fired at the end of last season. David Fisdale, officially sworn in, had the press conference. He is the new head coach of the New York Knicks. I, for one, am very happy about this. I feel like the Knicks actually made a, a conscious decision and picked a coach that's about the development of their young players. And I didn't know what to think when, you know, there was the list of people that they were talking about as as possible real options. And just for, for the fun of it, you know, obviously they chose Fisdale. Fisdale was the guy. Here's some of the names that were thrown out there for the Knicks. Mark Jackson. Now, we all know Mark Jackson deserves another shot. He was given a raw deal with the Golden State Warriors. Granted, the Warriors didn't win a title the year he left. But that was basically his team. The biggest difference everyone likes to bring up with Kerr and, you know, from the, the transition from Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr was that Steve Kerr saw a lot more potential in Draymond Green as a starter, as a power forward, actually which was something that he really, you know, he was more of a small forward type of player. That's the kind of the of the uh, area they were kind of playing him, you know, Mark Jackson. Uh, Andre Iguodala originally was a starter under Jackson, under Kerr, as you all have noticed over the last couple of years. Been probably one of the best bench players in the NBA was actually the finals. Uh, I believe the finals MVP the year they won the first year. So it's it's very interesting now you know mark jackson was a uh, a real contender he once again gets passed over he's he got the interview for the job it would have been a nice pr you know talk for a guy that was drafted by the knicks uh has so many great memories as not only as a member of the knicks but playing against them to come back and coach he's from new york it was all those things and uh they decided to pass on him another guy that they passed on also a new york native uh kenny smith Yeah, there's no joke behind that. Kenny Smith was really considered for the job, interviewed for it and everything. I just personally cannot see Kenny Smith becoming the head coach of the Knicks. You know, granted, he knows a lot about basketball. I've actually seen him do uh, these different tutorials in New York City. He's, um, you know, he's participated in all these uh, different development programs with the NBA you know, so he knows how to uh, to talk to young minds. And, you know, these are a lot of young players that the Knicks have right now. But it's just hard for a guy to go from, you know, holding back Shaq and, and Charles Barkley every week on inside the NBA to then coaching the New York Knicks. And, and that's your first coaching job, period. I mean, the guy was an assistant coach. You know, it's you sometimes can't always get lightning in a bottle. You're not always going to get a Steve Kerr. So it was it's it was an interesting decision to even give him the interview, but I didn't expect him to get it. Uh, another worthy candidate, Jerry Stackhouse. Uh, Stackhouse has done a heck of a job with the G League affiliate for the Toronto Raptors as their head coach. 
And he's really proven that he knows exactly what he's doing with the X's and O's. Always been a great player, North Carolina player, had a great NBA career. And he looks to be one of the next big coaches. I thought it was a little early for him. You know, uh, I still feel like I want to see him do a couple more years with the G League G League teams or even get an assistant coaching job with the um, one of the main squads here in the NBA. So uh, it was a very interesting decision to interview him as well. Juwan Howard came out of left field. And uh, the more interesting thing, Juwan Howard could actually end up being an assistant coach for um, Fisdale. Uh, they have a great relationship from Miami. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, you also, uh, Coach Boonholzer, everybody knows him for the job he did with the Atlanta Hawks, making them into contenders that one year, only to get swept by LeBron again. He was out there. That was an option. I heard Jeff Van Gundy's name pop up. And, you know, I, it's for fun, Jeff Van Gundy's name will pop up, but he's not. I just don't see him coming back to New York. There's just no way he would ever do that. And after all those interviews and probably a lot more that I didn't mention, I think David Blatt. I I was so happy we didn't go down the David Blatt ro- um, road, but a lot of people think David Blatt is a good option. I just don't think he needs to be in, you know, coaching in the NBA for a while, especially after the whole situation with Cleveland. Trying to coach LeBron James has got to be the toughest thing you could do. I would like for him to, to keep his reputation as being one of the best European coaches out there and just continue going with that. I, I just don't think going straight from the Euro to – to New York City, that's a tough transition. And I, I hate for a guy who I think David Blatt's a good guy to have to put that type of pressure on himself every single time. It's really an unfair situation. If he had to go to another like smaller market team, then I would completely understand it. But New York City is New York City. And that's why I think David Fisdale is that guy. He's been around. Uh, he had a raw deal with Memphis. Uh, the guy was fired after one season and into the second season. Because of a uh, dispute with the star, and that's Marc Gasol. Uh, him and Gasol could never get on the same page. They did make the playoffs that first year. Second year, he barely, I think it was like a, a month and a half into the season, and they dropped him. So there's all these different rumors about why it happened. Fisdale, in his uh, press conference, which I'm going to play a, a good portion of you know, after the break, he talks about it. He actually discusses the whole situation about becoming a better coach understanding his players. He didn't even throw Gasol under the bus, which a lot of people probably you know have done and and have expected, but he shared his opinion and he said that uh he felt like as a coach he was he wasn't good because he couldn't relate to his players with Memphis. That team at the time was already built. They had been in plenty of wars. They just didn't want to change the philosophy right away. And I think that kind of rubbed a lot of players the wrong way, most notably Gasol. So that led to his dismissal. Fast forward now, Fisdale's the head coach of the New York Knicks. They have this great press conference, like I said, I'm going to play a portion of. And already, I, I could tell just by the energy in the room, just, you know, everybody was like really focused on him. He gave answers that didn't seem like, okay, I'm trying to evade a problem here. I'm going to give you, he gave direct answers and I, I really enjoyed the fact that there were a couple of Knicks from last year's team at the press conference. You, you don't really see that for a new coach. Having a, a couple of players, even players like Kylo Quinn, who's a, a free agent. Kylo Quinn is a free agent, and he still 
decided to show up to the press conference to to hear uh, David Fisdale get a uh, you know his uh, introduction and everything. I was really surprised by that. Uh, Emmanuel Mudiay was also there. Trey Burke, uh, Lance Thomas. So it's going to be an interesting situation in regards to how he's already approaching the Knicks. Uh, another Knicks player that I was curious about in regards to how is he going to relate to Joakim Noah apparently reached out to Fisdale after he was officially hired and he let it be known that he's willing to talk. Noah, as a lot of people may not realize, has been a disappointment since joining the Knicks and was actually sent home after a dispute with then-head coach Jeff Hornacek. Noah, in my opinion, still a very good player. Um, I just don't understand where it went wrong in the system with Hornacek. I just know they got a little center happy, and it was like four or five centers on the roster. And, you know, having to put Noah in that situation and where you're going to play him, was he healthy? All these things came into question. So I'm curious. I really am curious to see what the Knicks do with Joakim Noah. Still on the contract, still getting paid a lot of money. Can Fisdale find that fight and, and bring it out of him? You know, these are the questions that people are going to want to ask. Is he's, he could be a key piece. Uh, Enos Cantor is still on the team and, you know, He's still going to be Enos Cantor. Kylo Quinn, the free agent. There's just so many question marks. Moving forward with personnel, obviously the draft lottery will be next week. The Knicks are probably looking at a 9th or 10th pick here. And they need some type of uh, just some type of, of, of help offensively. Hardaway Jr. took big strides. Big strides after coming back from the injury, after Porzingis went down. You need somebody else, another young player. Nilakina is not an offensive threat. I don't want him to be considered an offensive threat. Moutier, you don't know what you're going to get. There's a lot of pieces there on that Knicks team. Another young player to add to that mix that can actually make an impact could go a long way. But I still think this is a great first step. But the biggest thing that you're going to get from the press conference and uh, just from what Fizdale's been saying is that he plans a trip to Lafayette to go see Mr. Christos Porzingis. No other coach has actually come out and said that. He's the first one to openly say, you know what, I want to go see Porzingis. I'm going to go to his home and talk to him and try to relate to him because there's always been the rumors about Porzingis not being on the same page with management and all the different things that have happened over the past two years. So this is a a, a nice change. I think that uh, Scott Perry's done a great job uh, Steve Mills has done a great job at just trying to change the culture a little bit with the Knicks because, it's, let's be honest, this was a lot of uh, awkward situations set up through the Phil Jackson years. And how are they going to move forward now with this regime? I mean, you got Joakim Noah. He is part of that Phil Jackson regime. Is he going to continue with this Knicks franchise? This is a big question that I hope they answer before the draft. The draft will be next month, so... There's some time to take some looks and see what type of team they have. Fisdale still wants to put, put together his assistants. Like I said, Juwan Howard is an option that people have been throwing out there for a while. Even Mike Woodson, the former head coach of the Knicks, could be joining the staff as an assistant. So all of that going on, uh, we're also, because Fisdale is a big, big, big Pat Riley guy, 
Pat Riley always preaches fitness, being the strongest team out there, mentally strong, physically strong, fitness, etc. I thought I would play a um, a couple of interviews I did uh, not too long ago. I'd say probably a month or so ago with the uh, Brooklyn Nets. At the time, it was uh, Jalil Okafor. Uh, you had Quincy Acey. And um, it was it, it was definitely one of those NBA fit type of um, events they were throwing. And they were just getting their thoughts on how they felt about staying fit and for you know, not just players, but for people around the neighborhood and the community. It was cool. So I just thought it'd be a great time to to actually play it. It was audio that I was saving for another show, but uh, I just thought this would actually fit a lot better for it. So Tyler Zeller also, and I, I held out Tyler Zeller just because he's no longer a net. And the time when we recorded this, it was right before the trade deadline, Zeller was traded. And he became a member of the Milwaukee Bucks, as you all know, was recently eliminated from the playoffs. So it's uh, interesting, and I, I, I wanted to share it with you guys for a while. So I'll play their interviews just from uh, NBA Fit, as well as some of the sounds. And this was in Brooklyn with uh, a lot of kids, and that's do a great job giving back to the community. So hats off to them. And um, also in the show, now all the wrestling fans out there knew there was an event in Jersey. There was the big pay-per-view backlash. Pay-per-views in any sport are a big deal. Now, with WWE, there's always hit or miss. In my opinion, this was a big miss. Uh, it was one of the worst pay-per-view programs I think I've seen in a while. And and I'm a WWE fan. I'm going to be honest. With you guys know this. You've seen my Instagram, my Twitter, at Ed Easton Jr., I'm always at these events, and I always give my honest feedback on it. This one, I wasn't at, but I did watch on television. The person I did speak with, uh, superfan extraordinaire Dr. Black himself, uh, is going to call in and give his thoughts on it. He was at the event where there was a lot of booing, a lot of uh, crowds. Pretty much the crowd was leaving early in the middle of the main event, which caught everybody's attention on social media. And I had to ask him, it was in New Jersey, Prudential Center. What was going on through the crowd's mind? What was going on through your mind? Was it really as bad as it looked on TV and even worse in person? You know, th- these are the questions people want to know. So he's going to give his firsthand account of what it was like at Backlash 2018 in Newark, New Jersey, because it may go down as one of the worst pay-per-views in a very long time. So with that being said, I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, jump right into the David Fisdale press conference with the New York Knicks. You're listening to Sports Social with Ed Easton Jr. here on Brooklyn Free Speech Radio, as well as the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio now combines your favorite radio stations, plus your on-demand music collection, all in one app. iHeartRadio All Access now allows you to take your music collection offline to listen anywhere without a connection or using data. From the My Music Pivot, tap on a playlist you want to take offline. Toggle to offline. Indicators will fill in seconds, showing when your tracks and playlists are available offline. Radio plus unlimited music all in one app. I'm now pleased to officially introduce the new head coach of the New York Knicks, David Fisdale. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) 
This is, uh, this is quite, quite humbling uh, to be sitting here today with you guys. Uh, I'm so honored uh, to be the head coach of the New York Knicks. I mean, you can't dream of this stuff. <laughs> um, you know, I want to start off before I get into it with just, I want to thank, there's a lot of people when I uh, was fired that reached out to me, um, that uh, took time and spent time with me, um, texted, called, checked on me, made sure I was uh, coming out of the house. <laughs> uh, those people know who they are. I want to thank you. Um, I want to thank my lovely wife and my awesome mother here. The two reasons that I'm probably sitting up here with you uh, are these two women. Uh, I hope I make you proud. Um, I'm very grateful that you're in my life. Um, I used to tell my mom I was going to play in the Mecca. <laughs> I'm going to play in the garden one day when I was a little kid, and uh, mine ain't get to do that. <laughs> I'm going to be coaching here, though. That's right. That's right. Um, I want to thank these two gentlemen right here. Um, they talked about the process. I can't tell you how enjoyable it was to meet with these gentlemen, to get to know them. Immediately, you feel character from them. <laughs> you know, you just feel it coming, it just oozes out of them. Just great human beings, great husbands, great leaders. Um, I'm just really excited uh, about collaborating with you guys and, and going forward to do exactly, uh, fulfill that vision that we talked about uh, in that interview process. Um, these guys really have a, a pointed vision that connected to me. Um, obviously, the history of the Knicks, um, I don't take that lightly. Uh, I'm so proud about that, uh, to be coming to this city, uh, to, to, to be integrated in this organization. Um, I don't take that lightly. I really take a lot of pride in that. And I will carry that. And I will roll up my sleeves and work really hard, tirelessly, like you said, mm -hmm. to, to build this culture, to rebuild this culture back, to give these guys the, the, uh, a great opportunity uh, to feel basketball success, and, and eventually maybe all the, we hold that trophy together, guys, right? Um, I want to thank you guys for coming. It means a lot. It really does. You guys, it's summertime. It's nice out. <laughs> I think, Trey, you flew in for this. I mean, I appreciate that. That's, uh, that's really that's great of you. Uh, that's cool. Moody, we're going to get to work, kid. We're going to get to work. We're going to get you right, and you are going to be tough to defend, and you're going to be a heck of a defender. We're going to pick that up, right? Um, sorry, I get a little off, <laughs> off track. I'm just really excited to see these guys. Um, you know, they talked about uh, the vision of, of defense, tough-minded, uh, sharing the ball, pace, um, culture, um, accountability. You know, those are just words. You know, a lot of people have them on their walls. I've even put some of those words on walls in places. You know, they all, they're very cliche in a lot of ways. But I really feel like through my experience that I've, uh, I've gotten to live a lot of these words and, and fail through these words and, and achieve high things with these words. And, uh, you know, I hope that I will be able to communicate that and share that with these group of men and, and really collaborate Again, I, I just think it's, it's, it takes so much to win in this league. And if, if one person is off in one way, 
it crumbles. And so, you know, for us to be here and all on the same page is really awesome for me. And uh, everybody reached out, uh, different people from the organization immediately when this happened. And it just showed me that there's something special about to take place right now. And I'm just happy to be a part of this deal. And uh, again, thank you all for coming. And uh, I'm really proud and excited to take on this challenge of being the new Knicks coach. Thank you, David. Now we're going to open up the floor for questions from the media. If you would like to ask a question, please raise your hand, and a microphone will be brought over to you. When it's your turn, please state your name and affiliation. Thank you. Ian Begley, ESPN.com. Coach, you, you mentioned some of those players over there. I think Knicks fans are wondering, what are your thoughts on Kristaps Porzingis as a player <laughs> and how he fits into the future of this organization because he does have the extension coming think, up this summer? I would say the best way to describe he's the future of the NBA. I mean, you look around these teams that's still playing right now, and they all got guys that are super long, super athletic, super skilled, super tough-minded. Uh, incredible workers, and that is what he embodies. Um, you know, obviously, I don't know him personally yet, but I did my background too, and uh, he fits all of the qualities of a megastar um, and, and a guy who can really uh, uh, propel a franchise forward uh, to, to high places. Uh, Brian Mahoney, Associated Press. Uh, David, it seemed like you had a lot of options to a lot of interest around the league from pretty much all the uh, openings. Uh, was there anything that kind of made this one stand out the most? Because uh, some of the other ones might have seemed pretty intriguing otherwise. Um, obviously, it was humbling to have interest uh, that, you know, it's not always, it doesn't always work that way after you get fired, um, that you have that kind of interest. The thing that just I couldn't get away from was the history and the city. And just the, the interview process with these guys just kept sticking to me. <laughs> you know, I just felt the real connection to them. And, uh, you know, just how many times do you get a chance to coach in the garden? You know, it's just it's a once-in-a-lifetime deal. And I love challenges. And I love, I love the history of the game and trying to make history. And so, you know, when this all finally started getting really serious, um, you know, as much as those other teams were great, and it was an awesome process from them, I just could not, I couldn't keep away from this place. <laughs> uh, yeah, David, Mark Berman, Mark Berman, New York Post. Okay. Um, when do you plan to actually uh, head to Latvia, and what prompted We're working your decision? on that right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, the plane's warming up. <laughs> um, and also, just talking to some people from Memphis, they said your relationship with Good Soul well, you learned a valuable lesson. Do you agree with that, and you know how so? Well, yeah, because I really take ownership in that. You know, where we where we didn't necessarily click on things. That's um, you know, it's my responsibility as the coach to get players to buy in and really, you know, get them to collaborate and come together. And it just for whatever reason we bumped head on some things. But I I took that to heart. Um, you know, my wife can tell you uh, better, than, better than anyone, I've been meeting with some super leaders from all industries and all walks of life and just getting their feedback on how to manage and deal with different situations and, and really just tried to dive into, you know, getting better and growing from the situation. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm really tough on myself. I self-reflect. 
you know, which is not always easy to look in that mirror and, and say that you, you are part of the problem. And, uh, you know, hopefully I really grew from that and, and I can apply it to the situation. And Mark, that's one of the things that I think is important for us to add. That was an important part of our discussion. You know, when you sit in front of someone and you talk about one of something that was a big problem for you, you hit this wall, you hit this adversity, he owned that. He owned that issue, we could walk us through what he did as a person, as a leader, as a, as a man, to try to rectify, understand what happened, and try to make sure it doesn't happen again. And so when someone owns, a, owns an issue like that, we all hit adversity, but it's, it's how you deal with it and how you learn from it. And that's one of the things that really impressed us about David. Uh, Greg Logan of uh, Newsday. Uh, when you talk about uh, what happened in Memphis, uh, it sounds like you were trying to change the style of play there and it just didn't fit Gasol. Uh, what is your plan here? What type of style do you implant, plan to implement here and do you think that the ingredients here, including Porzingis, are a better fit for what you want to do? Yeah, I mean, in Memphis I did try to, to, try to tweak the style of play um, and really update it and get it to where it's a, a more modern style without necessarily losing uh, the power play that, that Zebo and Mark both had. So that's why I made sure that they, you know, they probably both touched the ball record times in the post that year if you go back and look at the analytics of it. Uh, but, you know, we had to open up the floor to get Mike Conley more space to open up his game, and no one suffered. And so I think everybody ended up having a great year. Um, you know, that's not, I don't feel like the style of play was at all part of, you know, the, the, the main issue. Uh, but coming here, I, I, I just think I see athletes. <laughs> I see speed, I see a physical toughness to us. Um, I want to get up and down the court. I want to share the basketball. I want to attack the paint. Uh, but none of that will start without us being a great defensive team. Um, you know, we're going to be a team you know, that really plays a, a, a pressure, physical style of basketball, get a lot of deflections, uh, try to get a lot of steals, get into the open court and earn the right uh, to co-play a, a more free-flowing attacking style of offense. And, and let me add, too, that one of the uh, attractive things in analyzing David's basketball background, uh, especially his time in Miami, where they established a culture, of, I thought, of being the best conditioned team in the NBA. Yeah. And that's very, and I think when you do that, you give yourself an opportunity to maximize what guys can do on the court. So that was very attractive to us. Okay, we can get a culture established where we're going to be in elite condition and we're going to be a team that competes, fights, and defends every day. And I know you guys have heard me say that a number of times <laughs> since I've been here. And I, th I think that uh, will we'll become uh, very apparent as we move forward. Hey, David, your own white's been from Bleacher Report. In terms of uh, Porzingis, you mentioned that you see him as a megastar. Just in terms of his positioning, do you see him playing more as the lone big on the floor, playing more before next to someone else? Uh, all of it. Why limit it? Why put a ceiling on it? All right? Just, just, uh, I just see so many different ways to use him. Uh, you know, obviously, if you play him at some five, it's like that super lineup you're always seeing from these different teams. I don't even know how you match up with them uh, from that perspective. But he can play four. I mean. If you have another space speed guy at the four, he might even be able to play just positionless. And I don't want to put any kind of ceiling on him or any of these other guys. Um, we haven't worked together, so I want to give them a clean slate and try to build them up to be the best players they can be. 
and, uh, and, and put a lot of confidence in them um, in the fact that when we work at this, you can use it and apply it and, and be a better player because of it. So that's, that's going to be my vision. Uh, for every guy that gets in front of me, I'm going to make sure that I, I don't put a ceiling or, or have a, a judgment or a perspective where I'm like locked into something about these guys. I want to have a, a real open mind about their development and growth and, and allow them the freedom to grow. Steve, Steve, I can't even. Uh, Steve Popper from the Bergen Record. Um, David, you guys have talked about the long-term picture here, but the possibility of no Chris Stapps next year. Mm -hmm. um, your thoughts on what what you could be facing this year? You took a veteran team in Memphis at Redway. What what you see for next season? Yeah, I think it's uh, I see opportunity. Um, you know, without Chris Stapps, you know, it's going to be some other guys that have to step in and really take on bigger roles. Uh, and also have to collaborate and lean on teammates more uh, for us to have uh, success and grow and get better. So, um, you know, that's, that's a challenge I knew I was going into. Um, I'm actually looking forward to it because I feel like, you know, we're really going to build something. You know, I did. I walked into something established in Memphis. Um, um, and that was something, you know, that was good for me because I had to navigate a culture that was in place while I'm filling in the gaps from what I knew uh, from Miami. And, uh, so that was a great experience for me from that standpoint. And so now coming here just with a, you know, you know really a clean slate uh, to build something special, I just, I'm really uh, embracing that opportunity and that, and that challenge. David, uh, Mike Vork now for The Athletic. Hey, Mike. Um, Steve and Scott have talked about kind of building a culture through the past year, and, and you, you've talked about that now too. How do you plan on instilling a culture and getting accountability from these guys, and, and who are your influences in figure out your philosophy on all that? Well, obviously, um, Miami had a huge influence on me you know, when you just talk about my, you know, my main foundation. But none of this stuff matters if it's not genuine to you and you don't you know, mold it to your personality and to the personality of the team and, and the franchise. So um, you know, that's, that's got to be out of the gate how I, how I approach it. And you know, how you instill it is, is just an everyday process of how you structure things, how you, uh, the, the, the values you set from the beginning with your team, um, the standards uh, that, that you set for your team, and then holding people accountable uh, throughout the organization, each other, people holding me accountable, a family affair of, of accountability, accountability uh, uh, to everyday things that we do, um, not skipping steps, and not letting, not letting people uh, off the hook or shortcut any days of the week. Um, but at the same time, building something around the players that they feel like really services them and really is, is about making them better people and, and better players. And so I think when you start talking about culture, which is, you know, that word is kind of getting abused now, um, I think it's more about a way of being and a way you approach every single day uh, that you go to work. So hopefully that answers your question. Uh, Stephen Bonney, New York Daily News. Um, just ab about when you guys talk about hopefully winning a championship one day, but also this is going to be a long process. Do you have a timetable to how long you can turn this into a competitive playoff team? And your relationship with some of the bigger stars that have been mentioned before, how much is that going to help you guys in free agency? <laughs> <laughs> well, but we're not going to put – our timetable is that we're going to embrace – the journey every day to get better and better every single day. I think that's the key, and I think I mentioned it earlier, and David just brought it about not skipping steps. Uh, you know, you, you can't skip skips, steps 
to becoming a, a championship caliber team. It just doesn't happen. I haven't seen it happen. No. And we don't have magic wands to, to make that happen. But the magic formula, if you will, is the daily grind. Yes. Being committed, being consistent to what we're going to be about. I think that's what you can sense and feel that, that we're establishing here, and that's what we're very, very excited about. So um, that's, that's what we're going to do. And obviously, we're, we're, every time we go out to play, we want this ball club to win. We're going to be trying to win each and every night, and I'm sure I I'm, uh, speak for Coach on that as yeah. well, too. <laughs> but uh, but the, the key in being able to become a winner, you just got to get good at the, the simple stuff or get great at the simple stuff each and every day. And that's the important part is that we have, you know, we have the commitment from, from Jim Dolan to give us the room to, to, to not skip steps, to do the things that we think are necessary to make this team into a winning, a winning team and a winning environment. And it's about grinding. Yeah. And it's about us being committed to it and, and, and not veering from our course. And I think that was, for me, that was the most refreshing part of uh, when I got to speak to Mr. Dolan, to hear how connected he was with these guys on the vision. Um, it, was, uh, it was awesome. It, it made me, when I, when I left and got in the car, I said, yeah, I think this is where I want to be. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was a, it was really a, a cool experience from that standpoint. As for the other question, I can't really speak on free agency. Um, I just know that if we build this thing right together with the guys we have here, who I'm focused on here, uh, people will want to come. <laughs> Lean in together is about what we can all do to help the women in our lives. And men have an important role to play. When men lean in, everyone wins. I want to be a great player, but I want to be an even better father. I lean in at home so Adrian can lean into her work. We need to stand up for gender equality. A little support for the women you work with can go a long way. Let's all lean in together. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Are you? Earlier this year, I spoke with Brooklyn Nets players Jalil Okafor, Tyler Zeller, and Quincy Acey as they hosted an NBA Fit event in Brooklyn, New York. The event took place at the Wyckoff Community Center, open to local kids between the ages of 8 and 13 years old. Brooklyn. 
I'm doing pretty fine. You know, I wasn't too bad of a move. I was in Philadelphia for like an hour, a little over an hour. Uh, so it's been a smooth transition, and I'm enjoying it. What are your thoughts on NBA fit and the importance? Say it again? What are your thoughts on NBA fit and the importance? Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, this is my first community event here in Brooklyn, so I'm happy to be here with the kids, but I think it's important. Uh, I think it's really important for the kids to understand the importance of being healthy and being fit. I think the great thing with what we're doing here today is they're learning a lot of other ways to be fit, whether it's running and jumping and running on the treadmill. You can dance, we have a boxing class, we have yoga over there. So, there's a bunch of other ways you can have fun and still be fit. So I think everybody's enjoying it, and I am too. April was a tough month for you, Roman, with two consecutive losses to Brock Lesnar. But what did this win mean tonight for you against Samoa Joe? It was all pride. There's no championship on the line. It's just about going out there and having pride in your work, having pride in the fight. Um, you know, over the past few weeks, Joe said a lot of stuff, a lot of demeaning things to me. He called me a failure, said, said that my career was in a spiraling heap. Tonight is proof to everybody out there. If somebody's doubting you, someone doesn't believe in you, as long as you believe in yourself, as long as you have faith in yourself, you can do anything. And I'm proof of that right now. I can and I will conquer every single day, and that's what I do. And that's why this is my yard. Well, congratulations, and thank you so much. Sports Social with Ed Easton Jr. And we just had a crazy uh, pay-per-view. And when I say crazy, I don't mean as a good, at least from my opinion, when you talk about the WWE and their most recent backlash pay-per-view. So I had to go to the expert who was there in attendance in Newark, New Jersey, uh, Dr. Black. Sir, what happened at Backlash? And uh, it wasn't as bad there in person as it was watching it on TV. It really it was. It's, but it also was very confusing. And by confusing, I mean, like, for instance, during, like, the D. Bryan match. Wow, because he's not D. Bryan again. Uh, we were looking like it's over. Like, <laughs> you know, when we, you, you could see the finish coming. We thought, oh, Cass was going to reach for a rope. Like, no, he just tapped. Uh quite it was a lot of uh just i say confusion with some of the finishes for the matches uh for the most part it wasn't a terrible pay-per-view but it could have been a lot better and you can tell that everything wasn't really prepared because greatest royal rumble literally just happened a week ago and because of Greatest Royal Rumble literally just happened like a week ago, they kind of just said, uh, we're really not going to build toward this pay-per-view. We're just going to kind of like throw a card together and hopefully everybody goes home happy and excited. And that was not the case. We kind of just went home aggravated because we were like, everybody in the crowd, like especially in my section, we were like, why is AJ Styles and Nakamura not going on last? That was like the first thing that like had us perplexed. We were like, but then they did this stupid false finish again, and <clears throat> I get it. There, there's no there's countouts in the no DQ match, and technically weapons and low blows and stuff like that it are legal, but. Yeah, 
unless they say no count out, no disqualification, it's pretty much the ending that you get where neither can reach the 10 count, which, I mean, probably is going to set up maybe a last man standing match or something like that to finally blow off this feud. But, uh, yeah, overall, if I had to give this a letter grade, it was literally a C. The only thing that's kind of generous, I mean, just, you know, the only thing that's kind of generous. Now, like, I watched it like many other people did uh, on TV, and I know this was more of a a local pay-per-view, so a lot of people from the Tri-State area was like, we're going to go to Jersey just to watch this, so I get that. But uh, Mm -hmm. to me, just looking at the overall production of everything, it looked rushed. It looked like uh, when you had the first match as good as it was, how do you drop off from there? I mean, the Seth Rollins-Miz match was amazing. That that honestly, it set the the bar so high. It set the bar so high that every other match just seemed like a waste of time. I really don't understand what more you can get out of Nia Jax and Alexa Bliss. Alexa Bliss has done a great job in the title picture, but she's been in the title picture for about a year now. Uh, I just don't see how you can keep that going. That match to me was just like, all right, that rivalry needs to be done. Like, there's a lot of rivalries, like, over that, like, Carmella, for instance, Carmella Charlotte. That ended stupidly. Like, she kicked her in the back of the leg, and then she pinned her. I mean, every, again, these are, the, like, the finishes up to matches were like, huh? Like, y'all really just ended the, y'all really ended the match now, like, as a fan who was there, like I'm saying, it really made no sense, some of, the, some of these matches. And like you just said, it was rushed. You can tell it was rushed. The only match that wasn't rushed was Seth and Miz, clearly. That, the, the, the segment with Elias was great. Yeah, uh, how, how was the pop there? The, the pop sounded oh, amazing over the TV, especially for Rusev. Oh, there. it was oh. Oh, it was loud. It was loud. Um, we, all right, if I could go down, I don't really want to go down the car because it was just so, eh. For the most part, we got into Seth Miz, of course. But then all, it's like all of the steam got let out of the, like all of the air out of, got let out of the balloon right after Seth and Miz. Because it was just like up, down, up, down. When Brian came out, we were like, okay, it's, it's going up a little. Uh, it was just like, it was a, like the energy was just, it was there, it wasn't there, it wasn't there. It was just, like I said, it was just a real rushed, you know, tight pay per view. Hardy Orton was like, okay. <laughs> Like, because you, you would think, all right, maybe because of the ending. More. Yeah, you were expecting yeah, more from that. I mean, a little bit more. To me, it seemed like Randy Orton was like, you expected more out of Randy Orton, if anything. Um, yeah, you expected it just seemed a like lot he laid down and died for a guy that, uh, you know, just, he's put on a pedestal, a guy's a future Hall of Famer as well. You expected a better outing. You know, you, even if he was going to lose, you expected to be like something a little closer, you know? Yeah, it was just like, oh, my God. All right. All right, let me just run through. I could probably just run through the cars. And just how our energy was toward it. So, like, Ruby, Ruby Bailey, we were okay with that. Seth Miz, that was the best match of the night. We enjoyed it. Naya, Alexa, we were, like, bored. 
Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton, we were still aboard. So then they sent out Brian, Brian, and Cass, and we got a little bit turned back up for Brian, but it wasn't as loud as it usually is at Barclays. So it was just like, okay. <laughs> then, like I said, that ending made us like, oh, that it was like a really rushed ending. That was like, uh. And then they did the same thing with Carmelo and Charlotte. So it was like double, uh, like three matches in a row. It was just like bad ending, bad ending, bad ending. Like I said, AJ Styles and Nakamura, we were getting into that match. And then all of a sudden, they kicked each other in the groin. And then that's the end of the match. And we were so upset by it. Because we thought we were going to get a clear-cut, you know, victor. And a lot of us wanted to see Nakamura go home with the belt. Strowman, Lashley, we really didn't care about it too much. And then we were aggravated with Roman Reigns and Solo Mojo. By then, people actually started leaving uh, leaving around that time. Because it was just like, all right, you know what? This is nonsense. We're going home. So, <laughs> it was, yeah. I mean, like I said, in, in I that, still give it a C. Well, here's my thing. Before, before you finish your grade, this is just what I'm going off of what people are saying on Twitter. Uh, and then even watching it, like, right after Roman got the pin, the reaction wasn't really – it wasn't much of a reaction. You didn't get a lot of boos or, you know, whatever. We left. It was just a dull reaction. It was just kind of like, okay, that's what, that's what it is. And they actually showed people just getting up and just leaving. There was no, no reaction at all. There wasn't yeah. booing. There wasn't cheering. I, I just thought that nope. was odd to end a uh, pay-per-view with. Is, shouldn't this be even more of a clear indication to WWE that Roman Reigns isn't the guy? At least not in this we capacity want to see as a baby face. We don't want to see him. Like at the like the at, once we see he spared uh Samoa Joe, we were getting up and leaving. Before the main event even started, we were getting up and leaving. Like you'll be it was a lot more empty seats than you can probably see on the uh on you were watching it on T V, but for the most like we people were leaving right when that match started because it was just like y'all killing us. We don't want to see him go on last. But I see but now after seeing the false finish with the AJ Nakamura match, we can see why he went on you know, that what that went on last. But still, we didn't want that like it it was just everything about that pay per view was just off. Like the 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 wrong matches Either the matches that should have went on longer went on too short, or they ended just prematurely. That made us like, like, uh. Then you had, like I said, the, the the finishes were like not really known. Like you could see a finish coming, or or you can get into a match like Cass and Brian. We were pretty much dead, except when he did the yes kicks, and it was just like, uh. <laughs> It ended. That's it. It didn't even go eight minutes. I don't, I don't think the match went eight minutes long. I think it was so it, quick. to me, watching that match, it looked like just two guys being protected. You, you know what I'm saying? It looked like yeah. Cass can only do but so much. He's still not recovered fully, and he's not ready, in my opinion, for a prime spot like that. Um, no, just yeah. everything wise, I just think he's not ready for that. And Daniel Bryan still, you know, they're still playing with kid gloves with him. They're not really letting him go full out, unless that the Royal Rumble, if you want to count that. I just feel like it's just an odd, it was an odd match to even have in the first place. 
Mm-hmm. And you got if you're gonna put Daniel Bryan in a situation like that, put him in there with a guy that you know can work. You know what I'm saying? Cats like I don't work. think Daniel Cats can't work. You gotta put him put him in there that with they, a guy that, that can work and at least make it look fun. You know, make the match look interesting. That proves that match to me proves that Cass can't work. Uh, we were saying in my section, because I sat on the floor, we were saying on my, in my section that um, they need to just let him use Kevin Nash's moveset. Like, it would benefit Cass a lot more if he just used, like, a big man's moveset. He does too many light I, – I call it light moves. Like, the like, I want to, like do a choke slam or uh, – uh, uh, of what's his name? What the jackknife or the sidewalk slam? Do some big man moves. Use heavy strikes. Like uh, I mean, the chops to the chest was cool, but use heavy strikes. Like you remember Nash used to just take you in the, el- in, the in the corner, the elbow to be Jesus out of you, and hit you with the knees, like the high knees to the gut. Like that's what, like Cassie used to just get a big man move set. Sell when he has to sell, and make it look good when he sells. Like, and he'd be a good big man. It's not like it's not like we can't see big men who can't work. Uh, and I mean, big man by you could be big in weight and work. You could be big in size and work. You've had guys who could do both. Like Big Show, for instance, he he was great at it when he was younger. He's still good. He's good at it now. Braun Strowman is good at it, and Braun Strowman they figured him out. It took him it took what two years almost to figure out what to do with Strowman. It's going. It's, Cass is still a project. I mean, that's all it is to it. Taker is probably the greatest big man of all time from an overall standpoint. It's just, but for Cass, it's it's literally if you can't get a good match with Brian. You're not that good, because <laughs> Brian can work with anybody and make you look good, and Brian couldn't make him look good. So that just tells you how limited Cass is in the ring. So I don't know, man. It's really interesting to even figure that whole thing out. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens moving forward. And uh, you know, backlash. A lot of people are pegging it to be one of the worst pay per views, you know, of all time. That's kind of hard. Nah, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's what people are paying. Nah, 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 nah. December to de- December to December is the worst pay per view of all time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, don't 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 even come. That this backlash is not even close. Uh, rushed? If it was it one of the more rushed pay per views of all time, absolutely. Uh, but was it like one of the worst of all time? I can't. I, I wouldn't put it. In the top ten, well, I'd have to look at like every pay per view from like the inception of time, but off the top of my head, I don't put it in the top ten like of worst pay per views. Well, we'll definitely uh, we'll we'll definitely hope that uh, it does get better by the time they come back to the Tri State area in uh, in, during the summer, obviously SummerSlam and the Heat Wave Tour and all that stuff. And NXT. Oh, yeah, NXT. The, the tickets just the tickets on for NXT takeover uh, yeah, are on sale now, and they go yeah, so people, like the pre-sale. Oh no, definitely it's uh, it's available now. Yeah. So I know a lot of people are gonna be jumping on it, and um, 
we'll just see how it goes from there. And uh, Dr. Black, as always, the uh, super fan extraordinaire when it comes to WWE events. This guy has the best team in the house every single time. So if you want to hear what actually goes on from the best point of view, you got to go to him. So thanks again, man, as always. Appreciate it. All right, you ready for some baseball trivia? Let's do it. What year produced the most no-hit games in the big leagues? Seven no-hitters in 1990. Wow, that's right. Now a question that's not trivial. How many children will witness bullying this year? Huh. The answer, three out of four. 75%? That's wow. right. How many of them will say something? Kids want to help, but don't know how. Teach them how to stop bullying and be more than a bystander at stopbullying.gov. I want to take the time to thank everybody for tuning in once again to Sports Social with Ed Easton Jr. Uh, special thank you to my guest, uh, Dr. Black, for giving his firsthand thoughts on the crowd in Newark at Prudential Center for Backlash 2018. What are your thoughts? Do you feel like it was a good show? You know, let me know. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Twitter, at Ed Easton Jr., Hey, WWE, this is a sign. We got SummerSlam coming up. Let's hope it gets better. But uh, once again, I always love you guys for uh, giving your feedback and letting me know if you agree or disagree on a topic, as well as the situation with the Knicks. Are they making the right move by going with David Fisdale as their head coach? Until next time, you will listen to Sports Social with Ed Easton Jr. here on Brooklyn Free Speech Radio, as well as the iHeartRadio app.